All right, folks, welcome to this episode of the Jackson Lucas Impact Real Estate Podcast. And today we have a very special guest, Janine Lind. Janine is the COO of MidPen Housing Corp in Foster City, Bay Area, California. How you doing, Janine? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm great. Really glad to have you on here. We met, uh, we spoke first a number of years ago, but I'm glad to have a, a local um, Bay Area person on here. I'm in, I'm in San Mateo and you're in Foster City. Uh, how's your quarantine going? Um, it's, uh, it's, it's going like probably most, uh, most of the organizations and our peers here. It's, uh, certainly been a trying time. I think for most of our team, uh, we are still, uh, pretty much closed down from a regional offices perspective. They're still closed and we made a decision to stay closed through March of next year, uh, to make a little bit of a long-term decision, provide some stability for the staff. Uh, obviously our properties, the employees there are still on site providing services to our residents. Um, so we've had to put a lot of different practices and, and procedures and policies in place to keep them safe. Uh, that's really the most important, uh, piece here. So many businesses had to pivot and you don't, I don't think of, you know, you think of real estate investing and it's maybe it's slowing down as some picking up, but like the real estate operations component all those people like actually on site and all that stuff they have to do with the cleaning and the sanitizing it must have mean did you have to and you're in charge of that you're the chief operating officer right you got to come up with a game plan so was that like holy smokes like what do we do here where do you even find someone find guidance on those on those how to do that yes it was a little bit of the holy smokes especially (laughs) since we uh I think had about six hours to send everyone home back in March oh, wow. uh, when the announcement came out from the six counties here uh, that the shelter in place went into effect. Uh, it's been an evolving process. We we obviously look at the, the guidance coming out locally from the health departments, the state, the, the counties, the CDC, um, and, and ultimately, you know, make our own decisions of, of what's right for us to do to keep our employees and our residents safe. Uh, business does keep going on site. We have to recertify our, our residents. Uh, we have to, you know, take care of their units and certainly keep uh, keep good cleaning protocols in place. Uh, we have had to pivot, um, especially on our services side. Uh, we have about a, a team of a hundred uh, associates that deliver direct services, anything from after school programs, uh, a summer program to financial stability programs. Uh, case management for our supportive residents. And we've some of that we've pivoted to going online and and some of it we still have uh, one-on-one uh, meetings with residents with a lot of safety precautions put in place. Does MidPen have all their own services or do they third party some of that too? Or how does that, I know some companies do it differently. So we um, have our own uh, resident services company. Uh, that we actually stood up in 1990. Uh, okay. It has roughly about 100 people in it, employees in it, that provide direct services. So we develop our own programs. Uh, we run our own after-school programs. We do our own senior program. And we do partner uh, for certain services with uh, different Bay Area partners. So food distribution, which has certainly in this time has increased by 7x over the, since March over what a normal year would look like uh, at the at the properties. 
primary case management for our supportive residents. We uh, partner with uh, the organizations locally in the Bay Area that provide those services and then select wellness programs. But we do a lot ourselves um, and develop our own programs uh, internally and deliver those. And now, can you tell everyone what MidPen Housing Corp does and is? Yeah, so we are uh, a nonprofit uh, developer of affordable housing. Uh, we own our own properties and manage them. And as I mentioned, also provide resident services to them. We are celebrating our 50th anniversary next month. Happy uh, birthday. Which, <laughs> yes, we had big plans to celebrate that and have... Uh, Put those on hold a little bit uh, due to COVID, but we'll be doing something next month internally with our team. Uh, we uh, have been around, as I said, for 50 years. We predominantly uh, build new construction. And at times when the opportunities uh, present themselves, we also go out and acquire uh, either naturally affordable market rate properties and, and keep them affordable uh, by eventually putting some tax credit credits and other subsidies on them uh, or purchase other existing uh, affordable housing developments. Uh, and, and we're in it for the long haul. We keep our, our uh, properties. Uh, we all hope that 50 years from now, they will all still be around. We actually still own some of the early properties that were bought by the original founders of the company. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, so you're a nonprofit. Is it all in the, all in the Bay Area? All in the Bay Area. We've got about 8,000 units, 120 properties in 11 counties. Uh, we've strategically uh, you know, placed ourselves here, decided to stay in the Bay Area to go deep. Uh, I think we all know that the, the housing crisis here and the lack of affordable housing is so great uh, and the yeah. demand is so great that we continue to just focus our efforts here and at this time have no, no intent to going outside of the Bay Area. Yeah, they have enough enough of that need here. Is there um, who founded it? So it was uh, founded by a, a couple of uh, a coalition of visionary leaders in, in the Bay Area. So Dave Packard, uh, mm-hmm. one of the co-founders of Hewlett Packard, oh, uh, okay. is one of our founders, and he actually uh, gave uh, at that time it was known as uh, the Mid Peninsula Housing Coalition its first line of credit to buy its first properties. Uh, together with uh, a gentleman by the name of Bob Moulton, who helped la- launch the Stanford Linear Accelerator, um, Janet Owens, a UC Berkeley economist, uh, uh, Ed Ginson, a co-founder of Varian, uh, Bob Hoover, who's a Stanford grad and one of the first African-American residents of East Palo Alto, and then Ira Hall, who later became the treasurer of IBM in Texaco and was actually uh, one of our first executive directors. And why not form, uh, excuse me my, for my ignorance, but I mean, I work with a lot of for-profit companies in the, in the affordable game, affordable world. Wh- why not form a, a for-profit company? Why, why a nonprofit? Like what's, what's the big difference? Um, it's, the word non <laughs> and for. <laughs> well, it, it is, it's, um, you know, for, for many, um, might say the the real big difference is obviously tax and tax advantage, uh, by being a nonprofit. But also the difference is uh, you're very we're very mission driven. We reinvest back in the communities and in the in our organization. Uh, we do run it and operate it like a business, but always keep what we're here to do um, in front of us. And it is also an opportunity with a nonprofit. It is going to be around in perpetuity. 
you know, we look for the next generations of leaders to keep doing what we're doing, uh, deepening our mission within the communities that we serve, continue to bring more affordable housing to the greater Bay Area. And as a nonprofit, your existence is really unlimited. And do you have to, where does funding come from nonprofits? All donations from? No, we, we, nope. In that sense, we operate like the for-profit affordable developers. We use state funding, tax credits is is our our primary funding at at all of our properties. And then we look at, uh, obviously, the state bonds. We um, look at county funding, uh, the cities, if they have funding available, whether that's giving us land to build on or assisting with uh, some gap funding for our uh, financing to build the properties. We do not, unlike um, some of the four pro- uh, nonprofits that do services, we do not fundraise for anything that we do. Uh, MidPen um, uh, Resident Services is self-sustaining uh, through the services fee that come through the subsidy programs uh, because of the services that we offer. And then MidPen, uh, Housing Corps contributes as well on an annual basis uh, to that entity. And you're the COO. That's a big. That's a big title. I'm sure it's a big job. What is? I mean, COO means different things to different companies. What? What exactly does? Uh, I'm sure, there's a lot of people listening, thinking, "Wow, I'd like to be a COO one day." Like, what, what, what does that? What does that mean? What do you do? Like, what are you responsible for? And if I read correct, I think you're the first COO at MidPen, right? I am, yes. Uh, I, it was, uh, thank you. Uh, proud to be the first COO here at MidPen. And why would they need a COO? So uh, I got a lot of questions in there. Yes, you did. <laughs> so, why did they decide to uh, add this position? Uh, the company uh, has been growing quite a bit uh, over the last 10 years since, or 11 years since our CEO joined. And we uh, continue to have a big pipeline. We've got about 3,000 units in our construction pipeline. Uh, uh, to be built over the next uh, five to six years. And because there's a lot of advocacy and uh, involved uh, work at the state as it relates to policy, uh, there it really got to a time there, that it, there was a need for someone to come in and take on some of the responsibilities that at that time were falling under the CEO so that he could focus, so that Matt could focus more on uh, external relations uh, working with advocacy agencies and working on the policy side uh, to uh, really help the sector, not just help MidPen. Um, so we've split uh, the responsibilities in essence and, and with my role coming on board, taking over our property management company, our services company, uh, which were the two our two big entities that were reporting to him. And then I also oversee HR, IT, and communications. Oh, wow. Okay. So all like the operational side of the company, the business is all falls under you. Yeah. All right. Which is, and and as you said, it does vary by, by organization. Some Mm. of my peers that have similar roles as I do have different scopes of responsibilities and, and this is how it's been uh, working well for us. And the services side, so the property management, property management, you know, then there's a service that's a separate company. And that is that done because for any particular reason, it's a separate company. Uh, it's or it's entity. The way, yeah, entity. Um, the property management uh, f- uh, entity was established much earlier in 1983 when we had enough properties to uh, really warrant in-house management. 
uh, the services company established in 1990 was kept separate to um, uh, for structure reasons and funding reasons, keeping the, the budget separate. Uh, the properties basically pay a fee to the services company uh, for the staff for the um, services that the staff provides on site. Um, so it's just for structural and budget reasons that we kept it separate. Gotcha. And is this, I mean, so let's go take a trip down memory lane. Um, how did you get into real estate? Did you dream of being the COO of a nonprofit when you were a kid? Like how did, uh, how did you get to where you are today? Where did, where did you start? <laughs> well, I think, <laughs> trip down memory lane. Yes. Did I plan to, to get into housing and real estate? No, no not really. And, and probably like Quite a few people who are my age, which I'm not going to disclose. Uh, You're very young. You tell. sound very young. You sound very young. <laughs> uh, I, I got in it by chance. I was living at a, I had just um, gotten married and, and had returned back to the U.S. Uh, with my husband. And I was looking for a job and we were living at a property and the manager was leaving. We knew her and she said, you know, you're good with people. You should apply. Um, so I did. Uh, and here I am all these years later. Uh, I've been uh, fortunate. I've had a lot of uh, wonderful opportunities uh, by the companies that uh, work, that I've worked for. Um, I spent most of my career, uh, I would say, in multifamily and most of that in affordable housing, uh, all for profit, pre-coming to MidPen. Uh, I did uh, have about seven years, was fortunate enough with wind companies mm -hmm. to uh, get into privatized military housing, oh, wow, uh, which is really where I think my desire to uh, complement and to include services uh, with providing housing. Uh, and when I realized that just, you know, a home is important, it's critical for stability for anyone. And there are many individuals and families that need the right services to help them get back on track, to help them improve their um, their economic viability, their their life, um, as well as their uh, that of their their children and, and the next generation. Um, so that was a really great experience. Uh, went back into multifamily after that. Uh, did a couple of years with a single family REIT, uh, mm -hmm. which is a little bit in between military housing and multifamily housing the way you operate it, and then found the opportunity here at MidPen, which has just been uh, uh, a wonderful uh, experience for me. I got into recruiting because someone said I was good with people and I should uh, I should get into recruiting. So, I mean, it, it, the people skills, just for people who are maybe trying to get into real estate, don't really know what property management is, or they think they need to be good with, you know, a hammer and a saw or something. Uh, is it like, what, what, what makes a good property manager, an operations, real estate operations person? I, I would say people skills are really critical. Um, you know, being comfortable uh, working with a diverse uh, set of people, uh, whether it's within your team or within the, the resident base that you have. Uh, you have to be a good communicator. Uh, the skills that we use uh, and that they need to have uh, can be taught. Uh, I would say certainly in, in the affordable housing space, uh, you have to be comfortable with math <laughs> mm. uh, because we do a lot of uh, certifications and, and they're critical, obviously, to our the success of the organization and the compliance pieces we have to deal with. But being able to be, uh, be a multitasker, to be adaptable, because there's not a single day that's the same. 
when, especially when you're out at a property. Um, so you have to be flexible and nimble and be comfortable with that, uh, which is really uh, important for you and your team, as well as the residents that you serve. Uh, from a leadership standpoint, uh, you know, I think the uh, industry continues to evolve. We're using technology a lot more today than uh, we have in the past. When when I got into it, we still had ledger cards for every resident <laughs> where we would write on whether they paid their rent or not <laughs> each month. Uh, and, and today, it's obviously we leverage technology as much as we can uh, for everything that we do. Um, so I think that would that's important uh, for for the team for anyone getting in to be comfortable with that, whether you're working in maintenance or or in the office side of property management. And what's the biggest difference between like market rate and then a military and SFRs and affordable? It's I mean, it seems like a lot of the same skill set and maybe math for affordable. Is there? I mean. I guess, yeah, what's the different kind of skill sets between each each of those asset classes? Well, if you think about um, the single family and the military space, because those are, um, it, it, it's the diff biggest difference is the way you deliver uh, your services, because you don't have a single building with 60 or 100 or 200 units uh, where you can easily access and, and get to and provide services in a specific amount of time. Uh, in the single family reach space, you might have a cluster of 20 homes in a community. Uh, and then you have to drive an hour across town to get to your yeah. next cluster of, of 20. And in military, it's, it's masses. You're dealing with 8,000 8, units possibly at an installation of 5,000 units. So you have to really focus on efficiency and how you deliver those services and think a little bit differently in how you structure your staffing. Um, I would say that's the biggest. And, and I see that some of the multifamily operators are starting to learn from that. And we're looking at how do we deliver our, our, our services and do our business differently in a multifamily setting. Yeah. Like it's like maybe like more of a, I see it like the hospitality way, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of more of a white glove type service. Yep. Like they want to go that way as opposed to, but I guess, yeah, but now it's kind of moving. I don't know the other direction. Like what's, how has COVID really affected besides just making it harder to operate? Like the, I know on the market rate side, I would say I'm just looking at like rentals and stuff. Like the people are like flooded, getting, trying to get out of, New York and San Francisco at the moment. Has that affected you guys at all? Are people trying to leave? I guess maybe not so much because it's affordable, but have you seen anything yeah, like that? No. And, and I would say it's, you know, the the challenge today is just keeping our people safe and in, in when when they are at the properties. Um, so it's making that a little bit diff more difficult for our staff. You know, when they do have to meet with residents, we've got precautions for them to put in place and minimize that as much as possible. Um, and with our population, we, we're trying to do more via phone or via um, email with them to, to get what we need done. Uh, but, but sometimes people just want to come in and meet with you in person. Uh, yeah. On the maintenance side, uh, we go in and take all the precautions that we need. Um, it's really on the services side where we've seen big pivots. We uh, had to pivot pretty quickly our six-week summer program, which is generally focused on literacy, retaining literacy reading. Uh, amongst the kids. This is for kids aged five to 12 years. It's a six-week program, uh, physical and social and educational programs. And we had to pivot that online 
within a matter of a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas normally the kids come together, they go on field trips and they go to the classroom. And the biggest challenge there was the digital divide. Um, yes. So we actually had to work through that and we ended up buying over 400 Chromebooks to distribute to oh, okay. uh, kids yeah. so that they could actually participate. Uh, we're seeing the same thing from uh, you know our residents. They're not, people aren't leaving. Uh, It's hard enough to find an affordable home in the Bay Area. So they're staying, but they're making sacrifices to pay their rent. Uh, We are seeing that um, uh, because we um, actually are having less of an impact on our rental revenue and income and our collections today than we expected, Um, which is why our food distribution, you know, we're distributing seven times more food in the last seven months than We've done in any normal year. Um, we're, uh, we've done over 24,000 wellness checks with our residents uh, just to see what other benefits can we help them get and mm-hmm. obtain. Uh, and currently are working for those that we know that unfortunately, because most are in the retails um, and service industries from an employment standpoint, are working on an economic stabilization program uh, and helping them with job search and and hopefully getting reemployed uh, when things open up for them or if there's other ways for them to use their skill sets. Um, so that has made it more difficult on the services side, really, for them to make changes in how they um, service the residents and dealing with, you know, like our seniors who are going through social isolation. How do we resolve that when we can't bring them all together in a room uh, and do something with them. Uh, so that I would say is the biggest impact uh, within uh, our company. Wow, uh, yeah, that services side is huge. I didn't realize how extensive that was. Like I really like it's a 360 degree, you know, uh, evaluation of your tenants' lives, right? Mm-hmm. Is that, it is. That, is that typical for affordable housing companies, or do you guys think you do? Like I, I would. Proudly say that we're a leader in it. Um, There are certainly other organizations, nonprofit, affordable housing companies that also have uh, their own services staff. Uh, I think MidPen's unique because we have 100 um, employees doing direct services and we do a lot of it ourselves. Um, And we tap into partners where we believe we don't have the expertise and and we want to bring them in. Uh, A lot of our peers, uh, do the reverse. They have less staff and use more partners. And then I would say for the for-profit affordable, they provide services, but not to the extent that the nonprofits do. Uh, for us, uh, you know, it's really driven by our mission and our vision that we believe uh, just providing the affordable home isn't sufficient enough. We have to provide the right services uh, for our residents to be successful. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. I didn't realize the extent of it. That is... That's amazing. Uh, it's got to be a lot of work too. I mean, it's got to be, uh, I imagine a lot of these tenants, some of them are more at risk than others and on this, on different types. I mean, is it, you, are you involved with some, like, I know on the affordable side, there's all these different types for like kind of, ha- I don't know the right term, but like halfway houses and some more for like seniors. I mean, there's, there's gotta be kind of more at risk tenants than others. Is it very, does it pull at your heartstrings, I guess, sometimes when you got like some cases that are just like, wow, this is really hard and um, get really tied and, and emotional and, and make it more personal, I would I'd imagine, it, than a, like a, a normal tenant? 
Yeah, it, it definitely does. Um, I mean, we do have, and, and I think what you're referring to is it's the permanent supportive housing. So we are, um, like many of our peers, um, are setting aside more units for formerly homeless or those at risk of homeless. And with those, we do uh, provide additional services, behavioral, mental health, case management services. And, and as COVID and the shelter in place went into effect, we were concerned about the impact of that, especially the isolation that these individuals yeah. are going to experience. Uh, but recent health assessments that we've done have actually shown um, that more than 60% of our supportive housing residents are doing well uh, through this time. And those that are having some impact of COVID, we're ensuring that they get the additional services. It It, it is certainly... Um, pulls at your heart at times um, and and that of our employees as well. I mean, we have employees who are formerly homeless um, who are now, you know, they've got a job with us. They're mm -hmm. great managers. They live in our communities. Uh, when we do uh, lease ups, uh, we tend to for a average, you know, property of 60 to 80 units, we get anywhere from three to 5,000 applications. And it really breaks wow. your heart yeah. that you're only going to be able to house 60 of them. Um, yeah. and the rest is going to go on the waiting list, uh, and, and has to keep looking. So it's, it, it's, it's tough, especially here in the Bay area. Yeah. It's gotta be extra tough living in the Bay area with, with that. Cause, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, do you, is MidPen involved in the political side of things too? Is that something they push like nonprofits? Are they involved with that with lobbying? I know I've heard some nonprofits are involved with that, just trying to get more like how do we get more affordable housing in the Bay Area? Yeah, it's it's you know the role that Matt, our CEO, definitely plays. We work generally through advocacy organizations like um NPH, nonprofit housing uh, organization here in the Bay Area or Housing Leadership Council. Uh, they do uh predominantly all the advocacy work and all of our peers and MidPen will um, support and provide information to do that. Uh, we spend quite a bit of time in Sacramento uh, working with the state yeah. uh, through how can we get more funding or how can we change the allocation of the funding to make it easier uh, to, to, to build and, and build quick, quicker and support various legislations to, to do such that, uh, that um, to push things through quicker through entitlement, um, so that we can uh, shorten the time frame to actually get these communities built and and open for residents to live in. What what is there? Does MidPen have a vision for the next couple of years? Any like new initiatives or continuing to try to buy more housing or excuse me, develop more housing? Well, we are. We're actually uh, just about wrapping up our five year strategic plan, and um, it's been an interesting last couple of years because up until I would say. Um, the recent 12 months, there's been a big push in the Bay Area to have more housing available for moderate income because it was a missing middle, as, as, as you might have heard in the past. Uh, but with the continued increases in the area median incomes, that is almost being addressed through tax credit housing. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so we're making a shift to really focusing on extremely low income, those that are sitting at the 30% of the area median uh, range, as well as supporting and um, preventing homelessness. 
there are families that are at risk in the Bay Area because they're sitting at those low income ranges. And um, if we don't focus on them, we're just going to continue to see uh, the influx of homelessness increasing. Uh, we're also uh, deepening our our um, mission to build more supportive housing units. So increasing the percentages that are set aside at the properties and making sure that we have the right services. So that's a big focus for us from both on the services side and the development side. Do you ever partner with like market rate developers? On stuff? Um, like, I know there's like 80-20 and like like that 20% affordable, who, who, do, who manages that? So, um, you know, it all depends on who, <laughs> who, who arranges, who makes a, makes the deal. Um, we have, um, we have not done, uh, done a lot of that. Um, you know, we've, uh, we are doing some where we're going to come in and build it, but we're going to manage our piece of, mm. of the pie, the affordable piece. Um, we've got some in the pipeline for that. Uh, but generally, we um, have partnered with some other nonprofits, done some JVs, but most of it is that we we do it ourselves. And mainly the stuff you're involved is like 100% affordable. Yes. We gotcha. don't have any market rate yet. Cool. Um, yeah, because I know like in, I live in San Carlos or Palo Alto. It's like all 80-20 or 60-40. Mm-hmm. Like, they're always trying to figure out how does that pencil out and blah, 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 blah. I was always curious yeah. like who who's managing that 20%? Like Because the market well, rate the market rate developers and management companies don't aren't always equipped for the affordable side of things too, right? Uh, some are, some are, um, and probably the ones that are really doing it, if they're doing it a lot, they will have a team, um, probably based at their corporate office that's familiar with all the compliance requirements, um, or they, um, outsource that you can, you can do that as well. Uh, but generally in those properties, I would say it's probably the market rate developers that are managing those 20%. Um, and they might partner with a nonprofit to bring services in. Makes sense. Cool. Well, Janine, are you ready for the hot seat? <laughs> I am. The hot seat is sponsored by KK Reset. KK Reset is an HR management and outsourcing consulting firm that specializes in helping organizations to reset their culture, structure, and path. They do this through services, which include comprehensive consultation to identify gaps and opportunities for corporate training programs, HR services, and career mapping services. They've collaborated with nonprofits, startups, and academic organizations to protect them from liabilities, reduce turnover, and preserve their brands. They have also collaborated with a number of my clients on the real estate front who are not large enough to have their own in-house HR program. So. They outsource it to KK Reset. KK Reset comes in, maybe sits on site a couple days a week and provides you know everything you need from an HR perspective for your, for your firm. So it's a great uh, resource for those shops who just maybe doesn't make sense for them to have in-house HR function. Um, so please check them out at kkreset.com. K-K-R-E-S-E-T.com. So hot. So hot. All right. Question number one. Any books that you recommend, whether it be related to real estate, life, leisure, whatever you want? Well, keeping with my uh, the theme of uh, working for a nonprofit, which uh, um, is for me has been a really uh, tremendously wonderful experience. There's a book that I, I read uh, about a year ago. It's called Forces for Good. Okay. Um, and if anyone wants to learn about what it's like to work at a great nonprofit that um, has high impact, uh, it talks about and shares about the six practices that makes them so successful. Uh, things like sharing the power of leadership, 
I would say the nonprofits in the Bay Area, it's been really impressive for me to see having lived uh, and worked in this space all over the country, uh, the collective leadership uh, when we're addressing something that is good for the sector uh, has really made the, the, this um, cohort a greater force to do more good in the Bay Area. Um, as well as uh, it talks about having high adaptive capacity, uh, knowing when to change your programs and your strategies to really uh, deliver on your mission. Uh, so it's a great book. I recommend it for anyone. And even the market rate developers can and the for-profit developers can learn from it. Awesome. I'll have to check it out. I haven't heard of that one. Um, any podcast recommendations and or TV series? I just finished <laughs> Chef's Table on uh LinkedIn or not LinkedIn on uh, what, what's it called? Netflix. Netflix chef's table. Hmm, chef's I haven't heard table. of that. It, it, well, it, I'm... <laughs> it, it, um, it basically goes through like a lot of like the top restaurants in the world and just kind of goes through the story of the chef. And it's like, you know, it takes you, I'm going to Barcelona or like some strange Nordic town. And it's like some beautiful, like weird, you know, type of uh, log cabin where this person makes a meal is a thousand dollars or something. You know, it's actually, you know, it's pretty, it's, Pretty interesting. Hmm. Takes me away. Uh, interesting, yeah. I'll have to look at that. I'm not much of a TV watcher, but uh, from a podcast, I have to say I'm still a big fan of Car Talk. <laughs> oh, yeah. My weekend, yeah, yeah. That's my weekend ritual uh, while I'm making dinner. So go back and listen to the old shows. Um, you know, I do, do enjoy that. Besides listening to either Hidden Brain or TED Radio Hour, there's always some good podcasts on that. Um, from a TV show, uh, I really like Outlanders. I don't know if you've seen that. Hmm. Uh, that's uh, that's a great great show. It uh, has got some good history in it, and the fantasy of time travel going back two hundred years oh, yeah, in time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Freaking frack. That brings me back. I had a friend, an older guy, who I haven't seen in a long time. We used to he used to listen to that all the time. Freaking frack. Uh, <laughs> awesome. What do you like to do outside of work? Uh, I like to get out, hike the trails, run the trails. Um, I am a retired uh, triathlete. Uh, oh, nice. Did that for many, many years. But uh, now I just like to get out, get close to nature. Uh, it's a great way to clear my head uh, and do some thinking when I'm out there. Yeah. Great well, place in the Bay Area to do that. Yeah, it's always it's always nice enough to go hiking here. Um what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? <laughs> Good question. Wasn't that long ago. <laughs> um, you know, I, I would say that it's that it's okay if you don't know what you want to be when you grow up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that to, you know, follow your passions, enjoy the work you're doing, that you're trying, and, and trust that it will fall into place. Um, and if it doesn't, you know, along the way, then try something new. Good. Yeah. I mean, that's happened to me. Uh, I remember one of the uh, reasons I started this podcast, because I just, I remember the stress of trying to figure out what my career was going to be and you know, where I was going to end up. Like when I came out of college, it just stressed me so much. And then I have a sister who's 20 years younger than me. I remember she was coming out of college, like she had an engineering degree and she was so stressed over where her life was going to take her and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, Wow, if they only knew that, like, even the most, like, the high, you know, the COOs of the world had, had no idea what was going to happen, like, you know, 20 yep. years ago. <laughs> um, uh, what do you look for in hiring people? Well, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be, like, this 
hard skill set, but just kind of what type of people do you like to work with? Um, you know, I, I look for uh, cultural competence in people. Um, I don't necessarily look for people to, as, as, as you hear um, said a lot, to fit into our culture. I want people who are going to contribute to and enhance our culture in the organization. Uh, if I'm looking to hire a leader, uh, I want them to be comfortable with sharing that leadership, embrace working with teams, being collaborative, um, and being comfortable listening to uh, other voices, even if you're the subject matter expertise about something. Yeah. It can be hard to find from my experience. <laughs> uh, great answer. Um, well, Janine Lind, Chief Operating Officer at MidPen Housing Corporation, thank you for your time. That was great. Thank you, Chris. This was wonderful. Really enjoyed it.